Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, sound like you like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. In a world full of artists convinced of their own brilliance, John Darniel is a disarmingly nice guy. Humble to a fault, thoughtful, cool as hell. I've been lucky enough in doing these Wheels Off interviews to have spoken to people with whom I have pre-existing relationships, friends. John Darniel is a guy I had never met before and was frankly terrified of meeting. He's done everything I've ever dreamed of doing at a very high level. Written brilliant songs, made great records, top-to-bottom albums, LPs, experiences for the listener, written novels. He's been nominated for the National Book Award for Fiction for his first novel, Wolf in White Van. He is a true Renaissance man and consequently would probably be able to get away with being a straight-up jerk. But guess what? He's not. He's a nice guy. I met him for the first time moments before we had the conversation you're about to listen to. I was sitting in the lobby of my hotel in North Carolina, nervous. What was this guy going to be like? Guess what? He couldn't have been cooler, couldn't have been nicer, couldn't have been more generous with his time and with his insight. This conversation was a revelation for me in a lot of ways. Someone that I thought had it all and had it all figured out you know, was just as confused about the meaning of life as I am, just as driven every day to try to make sense of this weird world. We talk about music, we talk about songwriting, we talk about fiction writing, we even talk about Dungeons and Dragons a little bit, not too much. It was so fun. I'm so grateful that I do this crazy series of interviews about the creative life and the creative process. And I'm so grateful that Wheels Off led me to this episode's guest. Please welcome John Darniel. 
Hi, John. Welcome to Wheels Off. How's it going? It's really, really good. I'm super happy. We're in Durham right now. I'm super happy to sit. I've got to stop using the word super as an adverb. Yeah, super's good. I'm super fucking happy to sit down <laughs> with you in this hotel room in Durham where you live. We are vibing hard right now. Yeah. Like immediate musician connection. Super cool. Well, I'm kind of amazed that because our bands, you, you started a couple years before yeah. me. But um, our bands have never really crossed paths. Maybe no. the redundancy is what kept us apart. Or yeah, something. our path has been very different from most. Like we don't uh, we don't play a lot of festivals, which is probably where yeah. we would have met up at some yeah. point. And you know, that's a combination of not getting invited. You know, didn't have a manager forever, forever. And also, I'm always my philosophy. I'm jumping right in here, but my philosophy yeah. has always been: I would rather play. To a hundred people who came to see me, yeah. than a thousand people who don't care. Yeah. I, I don't want to have to try and win all those people over. Whereas managers are like, go to the festival. If you get twenty new fans, that's worth, and they pay well. And like my bassist, also Peter, he always wanted to play the festival. Festivals kind of bum me out. I gotta be. I shouldn't say this in public. No, no <laughs> it's true. But it's like I don't enjoy being at them. I don't the corporate sponsorship thing. I know it's necessary and everything, but yeah. it's like. You know, when I'm there, it's kind of, I just, and there's too many people around. Yeah. I have made some lasting friendships. At the Lollapalooza we played in Chicago, I met yeah. Danny Deal, who's a dance person. She's just, she's a one, wonderful, warm, amazing human being in electronic music. I would not have crossed paths with her otherwise. Yeah. That can be an advantage. We've had some good sets, but for the most part, we're a pod. If you're yeah. not, like, actually backstage, if you're not opening for us, I yeah. probably didn't meet you. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, that's true. We did one of the last lo- traveling Lollapaloozas in 97. Yeah. And there's oh, no kidding. You've never that? been... Um, it was the one with, with Corn and Tool. There? I wish it was the one with Pavement. It was the year after that. Okay, it was the yeah. last year they did it. Right, right. And we were on the B stage that the Eels were headlining. Oh, wow. And yeah, then the yeah. Eels got moved up because... Tricky got kicked off. It's anyway. It Tricky was, got kicked off. Yeah, but the B stage for um, a young alt country band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a little punishing. <laughs> it was a lot of, a lot of uh, middle fingers just flying. You've seen the footage of Pavement at Lollapalooza, right? I mean, I covered them in mud down, and so. stuff. is like, is like they, they got absolutely beaned. Why so. do, people are the worst. Isn't that <laughs> what Jean-Paul Sartre said? That's <laughs> right. But that's part of it. Is like, I don't want to play for people who don't want to hear me. Why yeah. would I, you know, it's like I don't take any pleasure in going, here's our music. It's good. You should be listening. That's not, what I do is not for everybody. Because that know? feels like salesmanship. Yeah. Yeah. Level. It's like, I don't mind trying to sell it. It's like, if you, if I already know what you like and I go, oh, you know, you're into Joni Mitchell. Well, I'm, I'm not even fit, <laughs> fit to kiss her ring. But at the same time, yeah. if that's the style of stuff you like, you might be able to find a way to mind. But yeah. I'm not trying to get in front of people who, you know. Who is it's like throwing the dice? Yeah. You know, it's like I could I could do as well just leaving a stack of CDs outside Lollapalooza and then go yeah. and get a burger or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll start where I always start with these conversations, and I know that you don't want to get too in depth about it because you just told me before we started recording. But um, what creative project are you working on at the moment, and how is it inspiring? So you? it's funny. It's like so I'm always working. Is sure. It's like for me, one of my the things I'm sure it's I mean people who have to hear me talk too much. It's a cliche that you know. I'm I'm always working. I'm always most interested in what I'm working on, mm-hmm. right? Um, I don't talk about stuff when I'm writing it about what's what's in it, right? Yeah. I always feel you don't want to. There's a bunch of reasons I think to like keep that stuff in private, but at the same time, got an album coming out April 26th. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to be talking about. But I'm not working on that. I worked on that. Sure, the work, the work to come now is the tour, which I'll know about once we hit the stages. We'll find out the shape of the new set. That's very exciting. Um, it's also a little like I think I might have just decided to throw out my keyboard middle section oh. on the set list. We don't finish 
we don't have a set set list for every night ever, uh, but we have a main one and there's a structure. And there will be a solo break, but I may not bring my keyboard that I usually sit down at for, th- for three songs or yeah. so. And I'm like, do you really want to stand all night when you are used to sitting for a few songs? <laughs> it's like, that's my break. And so, but there's a lot of keyboard on the new record. There is. But I don't play any, I barely play I, anything on the I, new record. Um, oh, really? I'm cool. barely on it. We'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah. So, yeah. So, I'm working on a book. Uh-huh. Um, and that's about all I say about the book. And it's big. Yeah. And, uh, and it's a long journey, this book. I'm very... I'm, I'm loving it. I sort of wish I could work on it forever. I wish like, I could just draw a yearly salary to work on this book uh, and never finish it. Is it the kind of thing you could see um, evolving into like a series? Is it a no, s- no, no. Okay. It's just the, the scope of it is large, mm-hmm. and so, and when you when you're world building at that kind of at that level, you sort of go, I don't want to finish. I don't want. It's like you could get trapped in it. It's like you could go, no, don't finish it, yeah. or, or do like. So many writers I admire write books that take them 15 or 20 years to finish. Mm. That's not me. I like to finish work yeah. because I do consider it work. This yeah. is the part that I, I, mean, I like to work. So I'm writing songs and songs more. So I've got a bunch of new stuff. Um, not the stuff on the album, but stuff for the next one. Yeah. I'm thinking about that a lot. I work on that stuff you know, almost daily. Um, just by, this is how I am. I wake up, I, you can tell. I, I, yeah. I wake up moving. You got a big <laughs> engine. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I'm blessed. I got 12 cylinders. That's great. <laughs> That's great. I, so, I really love, as someone who aspires to write fiction, don't you love when someone starts a sentence with as and then they tell you about themselves? Oh, yeah. Um, as, <laughs> but I really love that you've been able to transition so thoroughly and successfully into having sort of a dual career, but into writing so well I mean I really thank you I, uh, you studied it in college right yeah. and then yeah is, but if the stuff I was writing in college had, if I had found, some, found somebody who wanted to publish me I would be so embarrassed <laughs> I started later <laughs> I recommend it <laughs> well that's what I kept telling myself too like Vonnegut didn't publish a novel till he was in his 40s and he's one of the all time greats yeah and so but do you think that all the years you spent like do the credits transfer that's something I think about yes a lot. I do think uh, in a lot of ways uh Especially if you're a songwriter, you know, when you're a young songwriter, every song you write is the greatest song. Like, yeah. Especially if you've got all that adrenaline of being a 21-year-old or whatever, and you go, check it out. And then when you go to play it, it could be actually middle-level stuff. But if you have the charisma, you can sell it, and people yeah. will go, that was amazing. And people will surround you and tell you how you knew when it was so great. You get, you know, all that testosterone stuff fades a little bit, and you get a... a you learn the difference between the stuff you're selling with your charisma and the stuff that's actually, you know... That you actually had to pay a little for, you know, yeah. the stuff that actually you dug a little deeper. Almost always stuff on side two of your album, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's like that's the one. That's where I live, right? And uh, I'm sorry, the pollen is making me sniffle a lot. I know it's that really messed up. Um, so, so, uh, so yeah. So w- when you start writing books, if you've been in music for, like I said, been making records for like 12, 13 years at that point, you have a better editing eye. You know what's, you know. You can tell the difference between like, well, people will like that, but I won't be that proud of it. Yeah, which is good. These are good questions to ask yourself. What's the difference between stuff that people will like and you'll be proud of, and stuff that you know people will respond to, but that you don't consider actually growth? Which I think, if you're growing, you're doing your best work. Um, yeah. So yeah, so it's better to be older and have a, a stronger eye for editing to no longer be that impressed with yourself. Whereas I think when you're a young writer. If you do something that snaps that people are going to respond to, you feel like a badass. Yeah. And when you get older. You start to realize that, like, well, half of people's responses anyway are coming from them, not you. They find a thing that they like in you, and there's a connection. There's that. There's that interaction, but it doesn't mean you're a badass. Right? <laughs> you know, it, does, it does not mean that at all, right? And uh, 
and you learn that later and uh, you know instead of the first time you get applause you go that's right I earned and deserve this applause it's like well people also had three beers in them yeah it's like there's a lot to say you know (laughs) and so if you start writing later you're much more self-critical in a good way not in a self-judging self-flagellating way but in a way of going being able to go I wrote a thing I feel good about it but is it good read it out loud fix it right now when I revise I just love revising right now. It gets better every time. I wondered about that because when I read your stuff, it feels really, it feels really well line edited. Thank you. Yeah. Like, oh my uh, god. Yeah. Like there's just there's just not a lot of fluff. There's my ego li- can't take this because I'm the guy who does that editing. My uh, my editor Sean is great and he yeah. helps me a lot with a lot of stuff. But all the sentences are 100 percent me. Well, you know, <laughs> so. well, yeah. But also, I kind of feel that way about your lyrics. Like I don't, like I know for myself. Sometimes I'll go, oh, it's fine, and I'll let it go. Yeah. yeah. And but when I listen to your stuff, I really feel like you go through it with a fine tooth comb. Yeah, you make sure that each line has earned its spot. That's right. That's great. The and rhymes I, are perfect. They don't. I don't rhyme my face and train or anything. Unless, yeah, unless I really want to. You know, it's like yeah. So that's funny. That came up in a song swap I did recently, and some person in the audience asked, and I won't name the songwriter because it really bothered yeah. me. But they said, "What's the worst thing you can do as a songwriter?" And they said, "Soft rhymes." And I was like. Are you sure? <laughs> no, soft rhymes can be fine. They can be fine. I was, I had, uh, uh, well, perfect rhyme is the same word, but I had exact rhymes. Yeah. Uh, I love that a perfect rhyme means it's the exact same, like, train and train. Those, that's yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, but my teacher, Robert Mezzi, who taught me poetry, <clears throat> if you would do a soft rhyme or an off rhyme, he'd say, eh, you know, it's fine. I think you could look a little harder and find something, you know. It's not as good as if it rhymed, you know. Yeah. And he wasn't harsh about it, uh, but but I could tell. It's like I mean, I I, I need approval. I'm a, I'm a songwriter. I'm, sure. I'm a performer, and so so you work a little harder. You go, oh, well, if I you know, I might get a, might might get a, a better snap from the teacher with that. So I'm I'm pretty relentless on that. The thing that I'm very relentless on, uh, the word winter, winter. Well, not just the word winter. For example, yeah, right? winter, never winter, right? Winter, never, oh. ever, 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 right? You, oh. It's winter, right? It rhymes with splinter. But it does not rhyme with um, fur, right? Because yes. Now aver rhymes with fur. Yeah. Um, what else? Demur rhymes yeah. with defer. Those you know. <laughs> but but winter and fur don't rhyme, right? And so, <laughs> if you ever notice that if you go to fit a word in and you have to say it in a way that yeah. you wouldn't naturally, if you put the stress on the wrong syllable, yeah. Trust me, and I, and I've I hate it, but so many people do. Yeah. I mean, again, there's a songwriter I won't name who like when he was. Young and coming up, I, I loved his stuff, and I saw what he was doing. And I was like, "I hope you grow out of that." And then he got really big. And oh, I was yeah. like, oh, now you now you never grow out of it. Never grow out of it because they love it. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. So I love that you can work simultaneously. God, something you said stuck out to me when you said that you like finishing things. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if that's from all the years because when when we write songs, yeah, you can sit down and have a song. I mean, they don't always come out in toto in sure, yeah. one sitting, but finishing songs is is a big and not easy thing but it's yeah. it's achievable yeah absolutely so when you approach fiction like you see it as like it has to be achievable you have to be able to finish this stuff yeah I mean I guess it's such a different space it does not everybody interviewers I mean the press cycle right now interviewers always so what's the difference between writing a song and a book and it's like asking what's the difference between you know barbecuing a side of beef and baking a cake <laughs> they both make food but at the end after that there's no comparison right and yeah. uh you know, there's really none. It's like there's totally different skill sets, uh, and uh, and yeah, with a book, it's like you do have to enter the space. Go, I don't care if I finish it. I mean, you have a deadline and stuff, but you yeah. have to enter this like 
I live in this structure. I'm trying to make it as good a house where others can live as I can. Yeah. Right. And it's all you think. With a song, I'm not on a deadline. I'm better with myself than I used to be about it now. I'll let a song mellow for a while. And that's like maturity for me. It's like, I don't have to finish it. I'm not worried it'll get away from me. Yeah. Some of that is digital technology. Back when, with my boombox, I'm hitting record. If I don't finish it then, you know, it'll be on a tape someplace in the tape. Then I get, if I, maybe if I get another song later, well, that'll be on the same tape. And now, well, with this, I'd get on my phone, get a little idea going, and I can grab it from any place. You know, it's like it's, it's easier in that sense. But, uh, but yeah, but that is part of the glory of songs is you can finish them in a day, and they can be your big ones, can yeah. be finished in, in an hour. I found my favorite ones are the ones that come pretty quickly. For the most part. Again, later ones, there's a song on Beat the Chant called Fire Editorial. That took me forever to write. Yeah. You know, because it's way above my pay grade musically. It's like it's just so far. <laughs> and because I fit the lyric to the music instead uh-huh. of what I usually do, which is do them at the same time. So they, you know, just like play and improvise a line or two, and then go back and forth. With Fire Editorial, I wrote the music, and it's sort of a fake weather report or yeah. Steely Dan style song, you know. And so I wrote the music. It took forever to figure out. I later learned from my friend Phil Cook that I was borrowing a um, Quincy Jones thing, uh, doing these uh, major seven to diminish seven walk downs by half steps. Oh, that's right? great! Really, da, 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 human nature, right? And, yeah. Uh, uh, and so I wrote the whole music, all of it, with no lyrics at all. That's right? weird. And just the title. And then I had to go, okay, well, how does that work? And write a fake horn line in my mind and then fit the lyrics into that. So da 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 Right, and then I went, okay, what? Too blinded in Detroit, which yeah. is not at all how I write. Yeah. Uh, but that was really fun. But that took, that, that took like a week or two, which is for me forever on a song. So. And people are always asking you, right, do you write the music or the lyrics first? Yeah. And usually, as you said, it's always the same time because yeah. one informs the other, except in that case. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, every once in a while I'll get a verse and a chorus in a notebook, like mm-hmm. especially when we were in a van or whatever. I'd write something down, you know, and, and I'd hear it and then go to it. For the most part, I start playing first, and then if I get something I like, I go, okay, what can you do? And look in a book full of titles or whatever stuff I've written down and go, oh, that sounds, or just whatever I'm watching. Yeah. Since, since 92. If the TV's on and I'm writing, I see something that amuses me, I'll take that image and I'll just fold it in. You oh, know, that's the, great. Uh, Oceanographer's Choice on, um, on uh, Tallahassee. Uh-huh. The, the guy in a skeleton costume runs up to the guy in the Superman suit, runs to him with a broadsword. I was watching a, a, a slasher movie. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and I got that. And so I put that little description in and then I put it in the house where the rest of the songs were taking place. It's oh, my fun. God. I love that. Yeah, it's fun. Um, God, I... I the new record, do you play Dungeons and Dragons? I do. No, no, so I play more tabletop games that aren't D&D. Like board game? No, they're, they're the same idea, but they're much less uh, mechanically based. Like with D&D, when you go to attack a dragon, it has sure. X number of <clears throat> hit points, and yeah. you have X, and, and that's mechanical, right? That's, you are fighting. And yeah. You can port that to a computer and do it. The games we play, for the most part are much more storytelling based cool and so there's not they're fun I, I love them but I also you know mechanical stuff is fun for me too um, but the guy who I play with is a game designer named Jason Morningstar who uh, his games are much more about telling stories in a group setting yeah and improv stuff yeah. he did a game called Night Witches uh, where everybody plays a Soviet woman fighter pilot in the Second World War. Wow. Um, but not fighter, because these planes that they flew were called PO2s, mm-hmm. and they were just trash. There's can- their, their wings were canvas, you know, and like no their purpose was to slow the advancing German line 
until the Soviet army could get its... So they're just fodder. They're, they're, well, not quite. They're not just to be go down, but close. Like yeah. They're also dropping bombs, but they're flying only by night. They can't get enough altitude to fly in the daytime. God. So they're flying by night, trying to, bomb, trying to slow the front line, trying to, trying to mess with the German front line. Everybody plays one of them. Right. And, uh, and it, is this a system that's available in stores? Oh yeah, Nightwishes is on sale. You can okay. it anywhere. And uh, he wrote a game called Fiasco that a lot of people have played. Uh, okay, which is a storytelling game that is told in a sort of a. Uh, you tell a story, and at some point, the fiasco happens, and everything flips upside down. Oh my god, I love that. Yeah, these are, it's great. Uh, it's and yeah, he's. I think Primetime Adventures is one of his too, which is one where you do it in the style of a, a TV show. So at the yeah. end of every session. Your character says, "You know, next week on Primetime Adventures," <laughs> and then you and you just sort of flash whatever you're planning your plot line to go into. That's amazing. So that's fun stuff. Uh, I, they have run D and D, I think, twice for me because uh-huh. I never played that much. Yeah. What do you play? Uh, I've been the last couple of years. I've been running a fifth edition campaign. Oh no, kidding! In New Paltz with a bunch of mostly a bunch of novelists, actually. Owen King. No kidding. Um, and it's it's super fun. It's. Uh, it's great. Like it's funny. I I had to be sober before I could yeah. contemplate running a D and D session. It's a lot to hold in your. <laughs> so brain. did you play it when you were younger? Or I played. I was a did. yeah a campaigner when I was. Oh, younger. you were ahead back then. Yeah. But I've wondered about less mechanical um, systems. Like there's, there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> there's one called Blades in the Dark. That yep. seemed, that's also mechanical. There's a lot of rules to it. Yep. But but it's very much storytelling. And I the thing I've enjoyed most about. We'll get off this soon. But oh, no, no. I, I'm, right now, I'm so obsessed with Magic the Gathering. Oh, it's literally all I think about. Really? Like, yeah, oh, my God. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the grip. It's genuinely addiction. It's like I wake sure. up, my wife, who, who has no addictive tendencies, yeah. like she sees what it is, but I don't think she... Because you know, I literally, I wake up, you know, I, 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 I get out of bed, you know, if the kids got food, cool. I grab the deck I'm working on, right? Wow. And like I am, in part because I'm bad, I'm not good at it, sure. and like I'm a storyteller, so I want... All these cards that are cool. When in fact, to build a good magic deck, it needs to be a system. Yes, it needs to. Every card has to help every other card. It, yeah. it needs this highly synergistic uh, thing. No, no fluff, nothing in there that you think is cool. Like, oh, there's a rare card. That's yeah, I mean, not... I can't. There's one card in the deck I'm working on right now called Yogmoth's Vile Offering. Yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be in the deck. How cool is the name? But you can only play that card if you control another Vile. legendary creature. I know. Another. Yeah. Well, I've got the kids. Today. So unless you're unless you're running a legendary heavy deck. Yeah. Then so then you got a bunch. So I've got four other legends in there, which is probably not really enough, because the main other function of the deck is to get. I mean, I'm going to bore you with this stuff. No, no, it's a, but it's do graveyard interaction with to mill stuff from pull my it own out of your deck graveyard. into the graveyard. No, I'm not pulling it out for the most part. Oh, you're stuff in, in there, there to get out one creature. That's uh, not good. So no, it's great. <laughs> I've got, so I've got four. Legendary. Is it Rhizome Lurcher? No, and four Moonmark Painter. Uh-huh. Here's what happens. Okay, right. One of those comes out and gets a plus one plus one for every creature in your graveyard. Oh. Then the other one uh-huh. comes out and gives target creature plus one plus one for every creature in your oh. graveyard right so you pump the rhizome lurcher to and also gives menace yeah so the rhizome lurcher if you arrange your game right be a one turn kill comes out as an 8-8 eight, eight, and yeah. on the next flip becomes a 16-16 with wow. menace <laughs> so. my guitar player Ken from the old 97s is a big magic player and I, I messed with it a little bit right when it came out, but he's yeah. still, he'll still disappear on tour, and I'll be like, where, where have you been? He goes, I found this game shop, man. And he goes, yeah. man, it was I actually want... Austin where I got my first sample decks last there tour. I was like, you're not doing anything. Take a lift. To oh, a you just show. started last year? Yeah, last uh, October. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, my God, that's so funny. <laughs> I'm totally obsessed. It's okay. like so bad. <laughs> I'll talk to you more about this after we yeah. wrap, because I could talk more about this. So have you, which is the edition of D&D, though, that was Fifth so edition. controversial, though? Was it third? Oh, uh, well, there was, yeah. Um, I was out during all of 
of that. And there's okay. third and fourth, and then there's some other third. There's one that I've talked because the people I play with, one of them has been playing his whole life. Yeah. And, and he's like, you know, everybody was mad. I feel like it was yeah. third edition. And it so drove I really away. want to play that one. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, you're, you're so contrary. <laughs> totally. But fifth is more like the big tent. Bring everybody yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. It's really easy. That's where Wizards is at right now, I think. And, it, and it's beautiful. I think Wizards is a very welcoming business that sort of is like, get as many people yeah. to play as want to play. And know? D&D's having a moment, I feel yeah. like. Oh, absolutely. Which is, which is great. I love the idea of people sitting at a table together. Oh, it's great. It's you so know, important. Yeah. There, well, there's, I remember years ago, there was a Vonnegut quote that never made sense to me. He said, um, I, think, uh, I think Alcoholics Anonymous is the greatest program in the world because it actually brings people to sit in a room and talk to each other. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and, and now it actually makes sense to me. Well, like, the oh, fellowship yeah. is what it's all about. Is there, that's, yeah. what, that's what recovery, that, that's the strength of it. That's yeah. what, you know, if, you, if you leave, that's what you miss. Is like, you know, I, I used to, we were talking about this off mic, I, I spent five years in AA and it turned yeah. out my path was going to be different. But the meeting I miss... Wednesday night's what they call the spiritual men's meeting, right? Oh. And it was just a bunch of old grizzled dudes, right? Just, I mean, you never heard so much swearing in your entire life. And there was a beautiful thing that would happen where if you started to share and, you know, and you start to get mad about whatever you're getting mad about, you know, yeah. you're trying to share. And like three old dudes with clouds of cigarette smoke yeah. rising, you know, old... How do you feel about it? <laughs> and it was like it was beautiful. It was like a very much a take the take the piss out of you meeting. So yeah. I, I was on the fence about, I, and I've never super, you know worked the program really hard. But um, I had a friend of mine who's a memoirist, and she yeah. told me just go there for the stories. And it's <laughs> true; it's the characters and the, just the details. I mean, that's one thing I've noticed in your writing is that the, that you nail the details, and I feel like that's what any good writing songs and fiction is built on details like that's the st- that's where I'm at I, yeah. think, I, mean, I don't think I'm, I'm a big there's no one rule guy yeah. it's like there's there's writers who don't do a lot of details who, who just kick ass right and uh, I'm trying to think of who well Prine is real interesting that way that like he does great details but he really picks his spots yeah. you know if you, especially current have you heard his last couple records yeah I mean, he's like like a lot of older dudes right now I feel like and, and women too like New John Prine, you should care as much about that as you do about Bruce Dorange. He is running the table right now. And his details will be very sparing. Like yeah. he's, 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 he's waiting to drop one that will land on you. Um, I feel like uh, McMurtry is that way too. Uh, James McMurtry, who yeah, I think is totally. totally... Is he a Dallas guy? He comes through a lot, but I don't think so. I don't think so. Pretty into him right now. He's, I think he's, he's super good. But yeah, it's like... So you can do detail is one way you can do it, but I'm always because of me I always envy the people who have a different system than me. Yeah, and say, oh yeah, what if what if you held back the details? But I, but that's not me. Mine, I load things out. I mean, I make things out of physical details. That's what I do. Yeah, it's great. Um, so when you when you started uh, when you were young, I'm assuming you were in California during most yep. of your childhood. Did you have like an epiphany moment? Was there? Did you know when you were really young that you were going to be a creative person and make songs? Or well, I wanted to be a writer from the time I was six, I think. Mm-hmm. And earlier, I was making these little comic books that I remember. I can remember one of their storylines, which is so crazy that <laughs> what was I it? had. Uh, I mean, so <laughs> I had these rubber stamps, right? cheap rubber stamps that had Laurel and Hardy on them, right? oh. which tells you how old I am. <laughs> and so. Um, and you're just supposed to like put Lauren Hardy on paper, right? And then, I, but I had a bunch of other rubber stamps with uh, with letters on them, and I made a sequential story, what we'd call a comic now, but I, I wouldn't have owned any comics at the time, in which like they're hanging out, and then a big cluster of letters that doesn't form a word, 
uh, shows up and they feel threatened and they run away from it, but then they have to befriend it because they can't run away from it. <laughs> like, there's like, so it's, it's like, I, I want to show this, I want to find this piece and present it to somebody who does like mid-90s critical theory and go, <laughs> here they're threatened by, by nonsense, by like a non-signifying signifier, right? So, but, but yeah, so I, I mean, for, this, for my sixth birthday, I asked for a typewriter, which my mom got me an old, like a 36 Royal, which at that time you could get for like a dollar. Nobody wanted yeah. old typewriters. And so I wrote a story I was six. Uh, maybe it was my seventh birthday. Maybe. And this is a sort of famous story in my own personal canon of yeah. my own famous stories. that I, I wrote a story called The Golden Bugle. My mom was impressed. She sent it to my dad. They were divorced. Um, my dad was an English professor. My dad went nuts. He was like, I teach freshman composition. None of them can write a sentence this good. This is my dad. He's overstating the case, right? But but be damned if he didn't go into his Cal Poly class and go, I'll do my imitation of my father. May he rest in peace. Uh, is it, my son has written a short story. Um, I'd like to share with you the first sentence of it. Right? And he read it, which was, Once a bugle stood in the window of a store that sold brass goods. Right? Wow. I was seven. Right? Said, if you can write a sentence that good, you've got your B. <laughs> and I'm like, when he would tell me this story, I'd be like, you know, Dad, I'm sure most of those guys... <laughs> <laughs> and women could probably actually do. I mean, you'd be over harsh on your ag students because he taught in ag college, you know. But, uh, but yeah. So I started. I mean, that was a pretty powerful reinforcement to have your father, who you miss and wish you still lived with, yeah. uh, you know, be so impressed with your short story that's showing it to all his friends. And and uh, and so from that time, I would tell everybody who wanted to listen, I want to be a writer. I didn't start working on songs until high school, and I don't think I got good at them until uh, about sixteen months ago. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> it made me so happy. <laughs> um, was there was there a moment where you decided like that you were going to shelve the idea of being a proper fiction writer and just focus on songs and then come back to it? Was so no, I gave up process? fiction in high school for poetry. Mm-hmm. Right? I, oh, okay. I, I stopped writing short stories. This is interesting. Right after one of them. Uh, got honorable mention in Literary Cavalcade, which was this contest that our teacher, and Rosemary Adam, who taught me, is a big part of why I'm here at all, um, both both physically and as a writer. Uh, she saved my life in a bunch of ways. Um, and uh, she's a heavy smoker, and her class won all the contests. We just ran the table. She was, yeah. It was called Manuscript Writing for Publication. We won everything. And uh, I showed up one morning... People Literary Cavalcade is coming up. Uh, we don't win this one, uh, so there's less pressure to submit. But still, I like to, just in case, you know. And I was like, oh, that's the one we don't win, huh? Because yeah. all the older kids of me who I looked up to who'd been winning all these other contests, that told me they hadn't got that one. So I gave them my best work, right, which I would have at that time been sending out for publication, this, which none of it was going to get published, but I was like, don't send some contest that you might actually sell, you know. And so... So, but it, we got honorable mention, and uh, and then I immediately quit writing fiction, started writing poetry. <laughs> so, and that was all until I started being in bands when I was sixteen, and then I started putting poetry stuff in songs. And it was back and forth between poetry. I only had one band. I had two, um, uh, three. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I mean, two of them had one show a piece. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but. Uh, but yeah, so I was going back and forth. I was writing a lot of poetry. And then as I was becoming more and more into the poetry in my early 20s, I started setting some of that to music to crude three-chord progressions because I couldn't really play at all. Still can't play at all. Uh, but I could play a little better than I could then. And, uh, 
But at the time, I had a cheap, two really cheap guitars, and one of them was Hawaiian. It had a slide, which I didn't even realize you could do that. Anybody could put a slide on that and wow. do, make that happen. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, you put the slide, and it was sold to me by, I've told this story a million times, it sounds like a Tom Waits sort of invented story, but it's not. These two brothers who were like legally blind or close to blind ran a music store in Norwalk in a strip mall. And they didn't trust you if you walked in there. Who's there? You go, I'm just here to look at guitars. What are you looking for? You know, I was, I was just looking around. So, okay. Right. And there was this old 50s, no-make Hawaiian guitar. And I was, it was like 40 or 50 bucks. And I, was, I worked a good job. And I said, I'll buy the Hawaiian guitar. All right. I, I bought it. I couldn't even believe you could make... And so I set one of my poems to a one four five. Yeah. <laughs> it was going to Alaska. That was that. So... And that was on the first tape. So. That's amazing. I think about that a lot. I mean, Leonard Cohen obviously made a, a conscious decision yes. to go from being... Well, he's a real poet. I'm an understudy. He's, he's, the, 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 he's the real deal. So. Well, you know what? It's funny you say that because the, usually I, I, I try to make these conversations be useful, especially I think about like a young, struggling, up-and-coming kid who, who might be listening. Um, I know for me, it's always been... There's, there are a lot of... Like the obvious obstacles out in the world, it's hard. This is a hard job. It's hard to do it. It's hard yeah. to make money. All that stuff. But it, the the invisible, interior, self generated obstacles right. are the ones that I really wonder about and think about. Um, I mean, you already brought up this idea that you were writing to try to reach out to a person who wasn't there. A father had yeah, moved away, yeah, yeah. and um, and I, you know, I've, I've felt similar things. I've, I find that to be sort of a thing that. I don't. It's not ubiquitous among people that do what we do, but it's common. Yeah. Um, but it's hard. I mean, that feeling of wanting to be loved and wanting yeah. to be, and then sort of self-loathing, and then maybe the feeling of imposter syndrome. Do you deal with those kind of inner self-generated obstacles? And- yeah. But the thing is, I really and here's <clears throat> this is probably the one way in which I swim most against the current. Uh-huh. I don't like to overthink my process as far as that stuff goes. I have to be working in the dark to some extent. Right. Um, if I know what I'm writing about, then I can deal with that by talking to you about it or in therapy. Right? Yeah. The work that's going on in the writing, to me, has to be obscure to me. I have to be storytelling. Right. And then later, there was a time record called Heretic Pride that we made 10 years ago or something. Franklin Bruno, who I've worked with a lot and who's a very sensitive reader, um, I mentioned... Which was... So one song, Sax Romer, and the other one... Was oh nuts! Uh, can I grab my phone? So yeah, I yeah, of course. The oh, other... You're plugged in. Oh, sorry. Um, um, here, I'll. Uh, I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah. Look up the track listing for Heretic Pride because one of them was Sax Romer, and the other was um, I can't quite place it. I'll... And it'll drive you crazy. Yeah, it will drive me insane. So, um, but Sax Romer, the one that is a, a to me was just a a bunch of uh, let's see. Enclave New Zealand, so desperate creatures, Lovecraft, Swamp Creature, Sax Romer, which was the other one. Um, when you hit that point where you have like 1,200 songs. <laughs> so, but it, no, it was a pair. He, he, he made a good comment. Uh, I'm totally in a blank on what the other one was, where one was about touring and one was about making a record. Uh-huh. Right? Um, and Sax Romer was about touring, which one was about making a record? Um... Was it Craters? It wasn't Lovecraft in Brooklyn. It wasn't Swamp Creature. It has to have been in the Craters on the Moon. Um, 
but now I can't remember. But but he said, well, this song's about touring, right? And uh, and I said, no, I don't write songs about touring. Come on, <laughs> uh, you know, because I don't. And uh, because when I was growing up listening to seventy singer songwriters, I was like, I do not want to hear yeah. your story about how it's hard to be playing in arenas, getting approval every night, right? yeah, and making a lot of money. I don't want to hear how hard that is. I know now, right? Like when Jackson Brown sings the loadout, I get it, right? Yeah. I totally that's that's actually nothing wrong with that, you know. But at the same time, I'm not the guy. I'm not going to write songs Mm-mm. about how difficult it is to work this dream job that I wanted since I was a kid. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, you know, it's like, it's it's hard. I work all day every day and I don't I don't take days off. You know, ever. I'm yeah. vacation. When I go on vacation with my kids, I'm auditing mixes. I'll never forget for Goths, we were at the beach when Solter sent the mix to the Grey King and I was like I'm going outside and I'm going to listen to this over headphones. Sorry. We had two kids to wrangle, but, you know, one was an infant. I was like, I... I love I, that you're auditing mixes for goths on the beach. Yeah, it's, it was great. Well, that great <laughs> king mix, man. That's some of Solter's <clears throat> best work. I freaked out the, the tone on the sax when it comes in. But, uh, but yeah, so I have to... But, but Franklin's right. right? Yeah. That song is audibly about how you're touring, you see all of these... Your experience is, is cinematically bizarre, right? Yeah. That you see all these things. It becomes routine. But every day on tour, even if you're in the bus 18 hours a day, you're, the, the other six outside the bus, you're going to see some stuff that you say, okay, so check this out, right? It's like whatever happened, happened. And, and at the same time, as much fun and all this stuff, you're, only, you're largely focused on getting home. It sort of feels like it's, a, it's a, 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 an obstacle course you're running with the goal is get home, sleep in your own bed, right? And, uh, you know, and so, well, if I had known that that was a reading of that song, I would not have written it, right? I wouldn't wouldn't allow myself to write something like that. So for me, the process has to remain obscure. I have to be just storytelling, which is one of my other big hobby horses come in. I think of it as work, right? I love to work. I think work is noble. I think people were born to work. You know, I think working is a great thing. Yeah. The economy we live in makes work so degraded that most people think of work as a place you don't want to go, right? Yeah. Because you have bosses and they don't pay you enough and they don't, it, you know, and it takes eight hours of your day instead of six, you know, and all these other things that make work miserable under capitalism, right? Yeah. Um, but work doesn't have to be miserable. Work actually is great. It's noble. To garden is noble. To cook is noble. To write stuff is noble, you know, and to make things that other people can use is cool as hell, you know? So, so that attitude toward writing stuff is a big part of of it for me that I'm not sitting down to self-express I'm not sitting down to learn about myself I'm, I'm doing work I love to work God I love that and I wonder how much that would keep you from running into uh, writer, the idea of writer's block or Have you whatever you stick on that <laughs> no no what is it I'd I love to hear it I don't believe in it see I don't either yeah. okay no it's like I hear people and then people sometimes will challenge me on that and say look you know if I have major depression I do so get writer's block we'll say well I would say your depression gets in the way of your work there, but writer's block, it's not in the DSM. It's not, no. it's a way, I think it's something they sell you when you're a young aspiring writer so that you won't, you know, so that you can describe, I mean, if, if, if it's a working concept for people, then that's fine. But I don't look at it that way. It's not magic what I do. It's work. But anybody who's ever worked a day job knows, some days you go to work, you just suck. Right? You just have bad days. Everybody has bad days. I just don't, yeah. I'm not feeling this job. I can't do this job today. Yeah. Right? You know, whether you hate the job, maybe you like the job, fine, but it's just not your day. Maybe you have a hangover. Maybe whatever. You know, yeah. that happens. It's got to happen three, four times a month in any day job. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, well, most people have this on Monday, but Tuesday, I just suck today. Right? And you hear about it from your coworkers or your boss or whatever. 
Same with writing. You have days where you sit down and nothing coming out. It's hard. That's where being becoming a better musician is so rewarding. Yeah. Then you don't have to feel any inspiration. You can be setting little challenges for yourself, like, you know, include more diminished chords in this one. Uh, yeah. Play around in a minor key. Play around in a flat key. You know, there's... I wish I had become a better musician younger. I really... I mean, I'm happy with my life, but yeah. I'm growing so much musically now. I'm finding it so rewarding. And my younger self is like, yeah, yeah, you like jazz now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I was on stage last night, and it, it, I, you're talking about the challenge. Where did you all play? I, it was, I did a solo gig at Motorco. Oh, no kidding. It was great. It was super fun. I really yeah. liked that room. I love Durham. I was in bed by eight again. <laughs> I know. I, I, I would have been too. But, um, but in the middle of some song, you know how your mind will wander. Maybe, yeah. maybe yours doesn't. I don't know if you Oh, yeah. Live no, in this the happens. Monster. I try yeah. very hard not to let it happen, but you got to be real yeah. with yourself. Yeah. But um, I started thinking, I was like, I want to write a song with a stutter in it. <laughs> you know, like, there's so many great songs. Yeah, Changes yeah, yeah. and My Generation and... And um, Cherry Bomb by the oh, Runaways. Oh, God, yeah, that's the best of the... Yeah, it's the, yeah. amazing. But <laughs> whatever, just... Anyway, I, I love I love what you're saying about that because it is. There are little challenges. There's yeah. the little jobs. Um, I love the, the work ethic idea because I really do... And that's this is, comes up a lot in these conversations that, um, you know, because I remember I'd, I'd have girlfriends that would say, well, you're not curing cancer. This isn't rocket science. You know, what you're doing isn't inherently noble. Well, and I would argue that it is. Yeah. I mean, every job, like you said, every job kind of is. But I do think that making art does bring a certain meaning to life. It's music. It's like it. it it's not even just like the longer you stick around, the more stuff you make, the the higher the likelihood is at some point somebody's going to tell you, you saved my life. And for me, it's always important to say, no, I didn't. Yeah. The way I view that, I've said this before, is I made a thing mm-hmm. that I'm proud of, right? And if it was useful to you, then I'm doubly proud yeah. right? that you took the tool I made and, and put it in a service I could not have envisioned, right? But, um, but oh, oh, shoot, what was I, where was I going with that? Um, uh, uh, um, the usefulness, not rocket science. Oh, oh, it's not rocket science, yeah. But, but that sort of extreme situation aside, and there's one reason I kind of like a lot of soft rock now. Mm-hmm. Any given day, yeah. not just under capitalism, any given day under the, con- under the condition of humanity yeah. is full of nicer parts and less nice parts. And plenty of days have a ton of less nice parts. And maybe I get in the car and, uh, and I'm in a bad mood for whatever reason. Maybe I, you know, I'm annoyed coming out of my office. I'm, I'm coming down some stairs, whatever, I mean, whatever kind of mood I'm in. And turn the radio on and hear, say, Year of the Cat by Al Stewart. I'm yeah. just pulling it up from the air. And the vibe, because the guitar on that is so smooth and nice, right? And the, and the drumming is really, very smooth, so gives me a little lift and makes me a, a tiny bit better. That's a massive service. Thanks, yeah. Al Stewart, you know, for that. It's like, it's not saving my life. It's better, right? It yeah. makes my day a little bit, because most of my days I don't need my life saved. I just need something that makes it a little nicer, you know? Yeah. I just need something that makes me more likely to be my better self, you know? And that's, music is uniquely positioned to do that. With paintings, you have to go out of your way. With books, you have to at the time. With music, in the, in, the, in the digital age especially, you have the chance to improve somebody's day. Yeah. Every single day. That's a blessing. That's, that's immense. Yeah. You know? So it's like, you don't have to be saving lives. You just have to be offering somebody, a, like, you know, an apple. <laughs> a positive thing. Yeah, really. Positive. It's really valuable to me. I love like, that. I'm grateful to every single musician who does anything I like. Yeah. The idea of utility. Yeah, it's uh, you know to be of use by uh, Smog. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's one of my favorite songs. To be of use. Um, so finally, if you were to meet 
a version of yourself, the 21-year-old in today's world, um, who had 21. similar dreams to yours. What it, and, and, and I know this is a tricky question because today's world can be pretty bleak, but what advice would you give young you? So is this before or after December of the year I turned 21? Because <laughs> this is, makes a difference, right? <laughs> Which is a better answer? Well, by December... It's too late. Okay. By, by December, Before. I've gotten busted twice. Oh, and Jesus. So, well, but the thing is, this is so important to how I turned out. I was uh-huh. talking about doing five years in AA. I got busted twice. Once on drugs and once drunk driving. This right? is the, when you were shooting up. Yeah, well, no, this is after that. Uh, this is, uh, that was high school. Um, oh, this Jesus. Was, this was, I was not even that into dope. I just yeah. got drunk and I went and got some uh, crack cocaine yeah. and got arrested and... Uh, uh, and went to jail, and then then I got depressed, and then I so a couple weeks later I got super drunk and uh, went for went for a drive. I'm very lucky I didn't hurt anybody. And uh, and when I came before the judge, right, he gave me three years probation, and I'm very grateful because if he hadn't, I would have still kept running around. Instead, I didn't want to go to prison, and there was a three year sentence hanging on me, and so I. Uh, so I, I stayed clean. I made my court card. I showed up and peed in a cup every however often for you know, and. Uh, uh, yeah, but uh, so yeah, so my twenty-one-year-old self is uniquely positioned. So the thing is, I would tell him, "Quit fucking around." Yeah, real good chance you're going to prison. You know, it's like uh, you're very lucky. You know, that, but on the other hand, if that stuff hadn't happened, I'm probably not here. Right? Yeah, it's like I'm, that was part of the, the. The I mean, the thing is, often if you find yourself situated well in life, you tend to view all the bad things that happened as part of the thing. Whereas yeah. if you're in a bad condition, you then you say. Well, no, I wish those things hadn't happened. So it's a question of sort of where you're at when you when you look at it. But anyway, my 21 year old self, after December, who's trying to get clean, I mean, I would tell to keep doing what he's doing, work a day job. You know, it was important to me at the time to work 40 hours. For me, it was so I could pay off my court fines. Right? Yeah. It was very important to me to get those off my. You know, I did not want to be wandering around with a heavy, heavy debt to the state of California, and so, so I, uh, so that was hugely important to me. Um, and so I learned to really love work, which I had sort of not been conditioned. I, I had not been that way before. Yeah. And I, I learned to work overtime. I was a nurse. And yeah. so, so and I got my nursing license, which was at risk when I got busted. I had to go before the board and, and say, here's why you should let me have a license having passed the exam. Here's why I'm good for it. You know? and, wow. You know, I, it, it, it was terrifying. It was like, and these days, they wouldn't let me in. It's like they're much harsher about it now. And yeah. You have to keep your nose clean at all times. Um, but... But as far as the career stuff goes, I always encourage people to sort of, and this is, you know, I didn't go looking for this. I was making obscure music that nobody gave a shit about, right? Yeah. And over a long course of time, enough people got interested in it that I was able to say, well, what if, what if I try doing this, maybe tour a little more? You know, I took it very slow. Yeah. I know when people are 21, they feel like if I don't get famous next year, it's never going to happen. Especially now. I'm living proof that's not true. I'm from an earlier age, but I'm certain. For anybody who's, who really feels like they've got the goods, you can get on after 30. You can get on after 40. Right? It's just develop your craft first and foremost. Nothing's more important because if you don't get anywhere with it career-wise, you will still get to a place where it's so rewarding to you. Because when I write a song I really like, I, mean, I love the end of it where I release it and make it, and it's cool. Yeah. 
but I got plenty of songs nobody's ever heard that I'm absolutely as happy with as I am with the ones that pay. You know? Yeah, it's like that. They'll never hear them. It's like these are songs I like that I just like. It's like when you get to a stage where you really can write for yourself, you know, that is what I'm certain, a hundred percent certain, that there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of good songwriters whose songs are never going to be heard by anybody who get as much satisfaction out of the work as I do because they put the work in. Yeah. You know? So. It's funny, that is one thing that's come up in almost every one of these conversations is that if you do something and you're calculating how that thing can make money, yeah. it will fail. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, it depends on what the genre is. Like, I, I think a lot of those big pop dudes, that's true. <laughs> you know, I think uh, people who are making money that you and I can't even think about, yeah. right, are, are going like, okay, well, this is going to be the single before they have even written a note of the music. They go, we, we need the single now. Yeah, right? it has to be this so, BPMs. The this. thing is, that's a valid creativity, too. It just doesn't happen to be mine. Yeah. You know? But I don't, I don't judge that. The, the, who was the name of the guys? They're Swedes. They, they wrote, like, yeah. all, all of the hits in the 2000s. Yeah. I'm 100% certain those guys go, it's time to write a bigger hit, right? And yeah. like, God bless them for that. I wish I could do it myself. I can't lie. It's like, if, I could, if I could write, man, or no, you know, I'll tell you another thing. Like, you work in... in what do you what do you call the kind of music? Do you call it country? You call it rock and roll? I don't know. Uh, the band gets lumped into alt country. I just write so rock I'm, and roll. Yeah, rock. but I'm forever sort of dabbling with trying to write a country song. I think uh-huh. a lot of rock songwriters think if I could write a big country hit, boy, you know, it's like the idea of going to Nashville and selling your country song and, and retiring rich. And I do them every couple of years. I try. And I wrote one this year uh, called uh, "Picture of My Dress" um, that I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty proud of. I have to say. Uh, I Did don't you think... go to Nashville and write that with a writer? No. This is what happened. Have you read "Good Bones" by Maggie Smith? No. I've, I've, it's been recommended. I'm going to read it to you on your podcast. Okay. Uh, I'm going to let me take off. Do you want me to pull my... it up? Um, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I, I like to practice trying to read this poem without crying. Uh, oh, it's it's so rare that a poem crests the popular consciousness the way this mm-hmm. one has. There was another one uh, in the New Yorker by somebody else recently that I was surprised didn't 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 break further. But uh, but yeah, oh so good God. bones, Maggie Smith. Life is short, though I keep this from my children. Life is short, and I've shortened mine in a thousand delicious, ill-advised ways. A thousand deliciously ill-advised ways I'll keep from my children. The world is at least 50% terrible, and that's a conservative estimate, though I keep this from my children. For every bird, there is a stone thrown at a bird. For every loved child, a child broken, bagged, sunk in a lake. Life is short, and the world is at least half terrible. And for every kind stranger, there is one who would break you, though I keep this from my children. I am trying to sell them the world. Any decent realtor walking you through a real shithole chirps on about good bones. This place could be beautiful, right? You could make this place beautiful. Oh, my God. She wrote that at a coffee shop. <laughs> she wrote that at a coffee shop. And... Um, Turned out she followed me, and uh, and we're on Twitter, and she made a joke about uh, taking a wedding dress on tour and making a photo book of the wedding dress in all the places that you didn't go when you were married. So a wedding dress at a rest stop, you know, a wedding dress at the Grand Canyon, you know. And uh, and I joked about it. I said, the song, this is actually a song, not a poem. It's called Picture of My Dress. And she said something about it. And then I wrote it that morning, right? And I wrote a, uh, and I, I wrote a country song, right? Uh, yeah. I, 
he holds it up for me by its skinny white shoulder straps. Well, I boom, 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 boom. I take a picture of my dress. Right, this is another of my attempts to write a Nashville style song that has a real memorable hook that I got from Maggie. And uh, uh, these things never come out. I've done a bunch of them. I had one called Swingin'. Um, uh, no, Swingin' is an actual song. What was it? Swinging is that one uh, Little Charlotte She's as pretty as the angels When they sing You remember that one? Yeah, yeah. But I had one called Grillin' uh, <laughs> about, um, You don't uh, have to tell me What it's about yeah, I know, I know. Exactly See, Grillin', Grillin' is a massive hit If I write Grillin' One word But the thing is I think the guys Who are programmed to do that yeah. That's where their passion is right? Yeah. They, they really When they were kids They were like What if I wrote a song That 350,000 people All here at the same time And they all connect to it that's never my vision. My vision is always one guy or a woman or whatever, one person in their bedroom alone with their headphones, yeah. you know, in their long dark night of the soul, finding a little lift, finding something that helps them find the ladder. You know, yeah. that's what I want to do. But I don't. Ju- I, I don't think it's any. You know, I don't think what I do is inherently better than those Swedes writing the Britney songs. And it, it's, yeah. it's just a different. It's a different skill set. It's a different gift. Well, I, I really think that's something that's so special about you. And, and you and I had never met before this yeah. today. And um, I, I, I regret was, that. You seem like a good guy. Oh, you do. <laughs> and, I was, and I was really nervous to meet you because I admire your work. And I thought, oh, God, it would be so easy for you to be aloof or like judgmental or a jerk <laughs> because you're like, you're great. You know, it would be easy for you to be an asshole. And I think the fact that you are so generous about just everybody else in the world and how meaningful their stuff is. I just think that's really, really cool. The thing is, it's just, it's just that I'm right about that. It's just that I'm true. It's yeah. Like, it's like, I know yeah. the stuff that moved me. I'm not... It's funny. There's a, there is a songwriter whose name comes to my mind that I won't name. But there's, <laughs> but there's one I know who we both know of who, like, you know, who thinks of themselves as being, I'm on the level of my peers, of the ones I looked up to. I'm never going there. Yeah. I'm never going to be Joni doing blue get out of town no one can be that person now she I'm sure has her own I'm sure you have to get very arrogant to do that I'm not willing to make that trade you know I want to become a person that I look up to you know yeah. I'm not there yet I know more about myself than you're seeing the best me you can see right? yeah. it's like, but I'm, I'm like everybody else I mean, you know it's like when if anybody ever tries to talk to me like I'm special, I like to remind them that my farts smell terrible, right? Yeah. Like everybody else's, right? It's like I'm just a person with a skill set, yeah. you know. But that's, you, you arrive at that over time. I mean, yeah. I'm trying. The most important work is always growing into a human being. That's you know, yeah. that's, that's all you're going to have in your last five minutes on Earth. Is like, did you get to where you hope to go? Are you the kind of person you hope to become? Yeah. So, well, this has been so great. Thank you so really much for, fun. for being my guest. I love this I'm sorry I missed your show. I didn't know you were in town. I, mean, I, knew you were, I knew you were coming here, but I didn't, I didn't do the math and go, oh, he's probably playing a show. There, there will be more. All right. Awesome. I will see you in Dallas, I hope. I hope so. Awesome. Take care. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all.
Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The The Corner of Gray Street. Street.